Bible, open up with me to the book of Nehemiah. We're going to be in chapter 8 today. Nehemiah chapter 8. It's the third message in our series, Broken Over Brokenness. Third message in the series of four. I'll be with you again next Sunday and and just uh, really looking forward to that. I I told somebody the other day, I said, man, I can't wait. Till that fourth week, I preached that message twice in the shower, and it was awesome. You know, so, I mean, whoo, it's good. So I'm excited about that. I hope you're excited about your church family. Uh, th- this is really, it's, this is fun. Like, it's fun. I get the good view right here. Like, th- like, this is good. And the thing is, is we still have some empty seats. And so I, I think what we should do between, between now and next Sunday, which, by the way, next Sunday we're having a Thanksgiving meal. And it's going to be real tasty, okay? And so I think between now and next week, we should invite someone, invite a neighbor, invite a friend, invite someone in your family, and let's make sure that we don't see any empty seats next week. Does that sound good? And by the way, if, if you wanted to think, man, is Colby kind of driven by numbers here? I want you to know I'm not driven by numbers. None of us are driven by numbers here. The reason why we care about numbers and empty seats is because they represent people, and we care about people here. So let's, uh, let, let's just do something. Let's see the Lord do something great here in this church, and uh, he has certainly began something or begun something that, that I know that he will finish in the day of Christ Jesus. That being said, let's, uh, let's get going. And in chapter 6, last week, Pastor Keith did a phenomenal job bringing us to the end of his message and bringing us to the end, if you will, a project that God started through Nehemiah and his people in rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem. Chapter 6, verse 15 and 16, uh, the Bible states that the work of the wall was completed. And it was completed in 52 days. Like, that's really impressive. 52 days. The gates were set, the, the massive mile-long wall around Jerusalem was rebuilt. Enemies, they stood in fear because they saw the hand of the Lord as he was prospering his people. So we get to chapter 6, and it leads us to the question, so why not end the book here? Like, why does the book of Nehemiah not end here? In chapter 6, why does it continue? The reason is because the story doesn't end, because the greatest work, the greatest, to be corny, rebuilding program in the book of Nehemiah was yet to come. If you have an outline, and all of you do, if you have a worship guide, if you will, take that out and look with me there at the very top. In chapters 1 through 6, God rebuilds the walls of Jerusalem through his people. Rebuilding project is not done. Chapters 7 through 13, God rebuilds the people of Jerusalem through his word. It's a wonderful transition that we see here in the book of Nehemiah. This great work that has taken place with the people working and building a wall. Now we see God building a people through his inspired holy word. 
I want you to see how God's people here in the book of Nehemiah were renewed and rebuilt. Look with me there at number one on your outline. We see God's people were renewed and rebuilt as they were placed before the mirror of God's word. Look with me at verses one through four in chapter eight. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden platform that they had made for this purpose. Now, the way that we describe this event was that they were placed before the mirror of God's word. And so before we go any further, I want to remind you of a verse from our beloved book, James, James chapter 1. So if you will hold your place in Nehemiah and flip over to James chapter 1, this will really serve to help us apply later. But James chapter 1, verse 22 through 25. This is what the Lord, the, the word of the Lord says. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. He will be blessed in his doing. And so what James does is he describes, you can flip back to Nehemiah now, he describes someone who they walk into a room, they look into the mirror, they see what they are actually, actually like, and then they turn away, they walk out the door, and they forget. Now, that is not what we want to do. That is not what we want to be like. What we want to do is we want to look into the mirror. We want to see what we are like. And we want to respond appropriately to deal with whatever is lacking. I believe the clearest way to understand James 1 is to imagine one looking into the mirror to find that they have nothing on. Really. Imagine how foolish it would be to find out that you had nothing on and then walk right out the door and go to school. And that'd be crazy. Like, you just wouldn't do that, would you? But yet, what God's Word does is exposes. It, it is, Jared read earlier, God's Word cuts deep. It exposes death. And so we look into the mirror and we see what we're actually like, that, that we're poor and blind and naked. And then when we walk out the door and do nothing about it, it is really as if we walked out with 
nothing on. We need Christ and his word and his grace to clothe us. And, and so what we do is we, we look here in Nehemiah 8 and we see a people who they were placed by their leaders. They were placed in before the mirror of God's word so they could see what they were really like. Well, what did that look like? Uh, first, look at little part A there. Is that Ezra, he is going to read God's word. Now, who is Ezra? We, we saw that Ezra was a priest. I, I, I want to give you a little bit of background on him, a very small amount. Don't flip there. Just know this. The book prior to Nehemiah, the book of Ezra, is about the people of God rebuilding the temple of God. Okay? Ezra is the priest that we find throughout the book of Ezra. Of course, the book is named after him. Ezra is described in chapter 7 of the book of Ezra, verse 10, in this way. That Ezra had his heart, I mean, Ezra had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it. Isn't that a good phrase? He, he was... He had set his heart to study the law of the Lord and to do it, to teach his statutes and rules in Israel. That's Ezra 7, verse 10. Ezra is going to do that very thing here in Nehemiah chapter 8. He is going to teach the word that he has studied and what he has been doing. So uh, there in verse 5 of Nehemiah 8, it says, And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all of the people. Remember, he's on that platform that was built. And as he opened it, all of the people, they stood. They stood. Uh, part B, we, we notice there, not only does Ezra read God's word, but the people, they hear and they embrace and they respond. See, what do they do? They, they approach God's word as it's being read with eagerness, with anticipation, with reverence, with honor, with praise, with adoration. And what we see come from that is great conviction over it. Uh, let's read together. Look, look with me in verse 5. It says, And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all of the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Now what a scene that must have been. Uh, verse 7 talks about a whole lot of people with really difficult names to pronounce that I'm not even going to try right now. Uh, that They were there on the scene and they were called on by the Lord through Ezra to help lead and guide the people as the law was read. Verse 8 tells us that they read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. And so there, uh, the people are placed before God's word, they're helped to understand it. One of the greatest gifts of preaching ministry is, is to do this, is to study God's word, to take it in, and then almost like an art form, to deliver it to you in a way that you understand how to walk away applying it. That's what we see here in Nehemiah 8, that Ezra and the leaders, Nehemiah, who is the governor, they are doing everything they can to make sure that the people clearly understand the word of God. They understand what they're hearing. 
Number two, though, what we see, God's people were renewed and rebuilt, not only as they were placed before the mirror of God's word, but as God met the people with grace in the midst of the brokenness of their own sin. Look with me at verse 9. So, so they're hearing God's word. They're standing in, in honor of his word. They're bowing down with their faces to the floor, worshiping the Lord at this time. And, and then here God meets them with his grace. Uh, verse 9 says, And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and the scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, they said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. Now, we're going to look into this verse, and we're going to assume something, and that is that as they were worshiping, responding, as they were taking in God's word, that they begin to be greatly or deeply convicted by his word, and they begin to weep, they begin to mourn. And, and I think you can feel that as, as you're reading the, the text. But what we see happen here is something that all of us need to understand about the Lord. And it's that not everything that the Lord desires for your life has to be accomplished in one day. It, it, we'll apply that in just a little bit. But the people didn't get that. And they begin to feel the weightiness. They begin to feel the guilt. And, and what happens is uh, this right here. It says, for all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. But then he said to them, go your way. Eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Man. See, this is an interesting season. This is the seventh month. And this is a festival season for God's people. They had not honored the festivals for a long time, but, but now God was going to resurrect these in the life of his people and bring back many of the traditions that he had desired his people to live out. And, and what we're in here in the, the, first of the first day of the seventh month is called the Feast of Trumpets. And this is supposed to be a day of rest and a day of rejoicing. It's on this day that the word of God is read and the people remember what all God has done for them. But the people have been so distant from his word that when they heard it, instead of immediately rejoicing, they broke down. But the leaders reminded them, they said, no, 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 today is going to be a day of rejoicing. Today is a day of rest. In fact, everybody go home. Go home and cook the best meal that you can cook. If somebody next door to you, if somebody on your street doesn't have food, cook for them as well. Let this be a, a, a party kind of day because God has done such a great work. God has always been so faithful to his people that he's worthy of rejoicing. So the people are met with grace in the midst of their brokenness. Verse 11 says that the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Don't be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing. And listen why. Because they had understood the words that were declared to them. So you want to see a people who are renewed and rebuilt. You're going to see a people who they're under 
or they're before the mirror of God's word, and they are being covered or lavished in and living in the grace of God. Thirdly, we see that God's people were renewed and rebuilt as they reformed their life according to God's word. See, that day was about eating and celebrating and rejoicing. Day two was going to be about turning from sin. Intentionally dealing with the sin that plagued their life. The, the ability that they had and they had practiced to forget. God was going to start building in their life ways of remembering his goodness. By the way, it doesn't mean that on day one they didn't turn from their sin. It just meant when they turned and they just all they wanted to do was lay on the ground and not move, but God said, no, no, stand up. Stand up, go home and eat a meal. That's the way God deals with us. He is absolutely glorious. He is so good. Some of you today, you need to rest in the goodness of God. So they reform their life according to God's word. Look with me at verses 13 through 18. It says, on the second day, the heads of fathers' houses, of all the people, this is just leaders in the homes, leaders in the community, with the priests and the Levites, they came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. So they're back before the mirror of God's word. And they found that it was written in the law that the Lord had commanded by Moses that the people of Israel should dwell in booths during the, the feast of the seventh month. And so they're going to begin to read through God's law and they're seeing things that are lacking in their life. One kind of confusing element here, and, and if you understand this season, if you understand the seventh month, if you understand the feast, you'll know that on the tenth day would be the Day of Atonement. And it's, it's slightly confusing that in this book, that as they were turning their life around and, and looking and replacing things or, or putting things in place that were not, it, it is seemingly odd that they did not uh, have the Day of Atonement put back into practice here. Maybe it just wasn't recorded, but we have no evidence of it here. But what they did do was they, they celebrated the, the Feast of what feast did I just tell you about? I just told you about one. Yeah, the Feast of the Trumpets and the Feast of the Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. And that's where just for a period of time they would build a, a tabernacle, a tent, a dwelling place, and they would live in that. And that was to remind them of the time of in the wilderness where God provided for them. It was a time to remember the Exodus. Remember the great salvation of the Lord leading them out of slavery in Egypt into freedom. And so they go to God's word and they begin to see, oh man, this is lacking. And they start adding things to their life that glorifies God. And it says, and, and they, they begin to, in there in verse 15, they should proclaim it and publish it in all their towns and in Jerusalem. Go out to the hills and bring branches of olive, wild olive, myrtle, palm, and other leafy trees to make booths as it is written. So the people went out and they brought them and made booths for themselves, each on his roof, and in their courts, and in the courts of their house, and in the square of the water gate, and in the square of the gate of Ephraim. And all the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and lived in the booths. For from the days of Jeshua 
That's just another way of saying Joshua, the son of Nun. To that day, the people of Israel had not done so. And there was very great rejoicing. Day by day, from the first day to the last day, he read from the book of the law of God. They kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day, there was a solemn assembly according to the rule. And so what you see there, look at part A, is that the people, they began a pattern in their life of repenting and replacing. It's not enough just to feel bad about something. And it doesn't work to feel bad about something, but continue in a life with that thing still existing in it. You, you, you can't do that. And so they had forgotten the Lord. They had forgotten His law. They had forgotten His ways. And it wasn't just enough to feel bad about it. What they had to do is instead of forgetting, they had to intentionally remember. They had to be intentional about doing God's word. And so, so they heard His word and they, and they began to do it. And at least here we see evidence of that with the Feast of the Booths. So instead of being lazy, instead of forgetting, they began to remember. Look at part B. Also, God's word became central to the lives of his people. I love chapter 9. We cannot read chapter 9 today, or we could, but we would be here a really long time. And so we're not going to do that. But, but chapter 9 is a prayer of confession. And what we see is the leaders come around God's people and they begin to pray to the Lord on behalf of the people. And they begin to just remember what's true about the Lord. And so we may not know all that was read in the midst on those hours, you know, from morning until midday. We, we may not know if they, did they read from, you know, Genesis to the end of Deuteronomy. Did they do that? I, I'm not really sure how much of God's law they read. But what I know is this, if you read chapter 9, when you see the prayer of the people, you understand they got the whole story of the Pentateuch. They got it. They understood God's story about how he created all things, about how he raised up a people, how he called out, he chose Abraham, how he, how he raised up a people that Moses would lead from Egypt into freedom, how they wandered in the wilderness and God provided for them. He understood how they were constantly rebelling against God and how they were constantly uh, walking away from his ways, but how God was always there. And he starts pleading on their behalf for mercy. And we see this prayer. It's, it's praying God's word over the people. It's him asking God to do what God does. Like you can pray all day and ask God to do stuff that he doesn't do. Like you could ask him to do something that was against his character, but he won't do it. God doesn't do things like that. God is always faithful to who he is. He's faithful to his word. And so what we see prayed is not just some random prayers that they're trying to pray on the people that was against the heart of the Lord. He prayed the heart of God for his people. This is where you see people beginning to reform their life, to see their life not just, not just feel bad, not just attend somewhere, but see an actual reformation take place where they were, they were old and now they are new. <clears throat> With that being said, let's now move on to application and conclusion here. And 
see what God desires to do here. See, God desires to renew and rebuild his people here at Alberta Baptist Church. That's what he desires to do. Like, it's not enough that we built a building. It's not enough that we merged. You understand? That was a good work. It really was. It was a God-inspired work. It wasn't done in 52 days. Woo, it sure wasn't. But it was, but it was completed, nonetheless. But God's not done. The first six chapters of our story might have been completed, but 7 through 13 have not happened yet. And so here we are before the Word of God, before Him, and we want to ask, you know, Lord, how do you renew and rebuild your people here? Number one, it's going to be as we consistently place ourselves before the mirror of God's Word. As we consistently place ourselves before the mirror of God's Word. How do we do that? How do we do that? I want to I speak to you as individuals, as families, ministries. However, right now I want to speak to you personally. Is you must be under God's Word. We need to be in God's Word. As we read God's Word, God's Word reads us. You understand? We must be in the Word of God. And there are so many different ways to do that. Uh, For you personally, you need to be hearing God's Word. That's what you're doing right now. You're hearing God's Word taught. If you went to small group or Sunday school this morning, you heard God's Word taught. Lord willing. You were under it. You need to hear it. You need to read it. You need to, you can read the Bible. If you can read, and even if you can't read, there's audio Bibles. You need to be able to take God's Word and open it, to hear it, to see it. Not only do you need to read it, you need to study it. You need to study God's Word. There are some phenomenal resources that we have. I would recommend to you and to anyone here the ESV Study Bible. It's one of the greatest resources. I'm sure several of you have one right now, and that's what you're, that's what you're sitting in the chair listening. Uh, the, the ESV Study Bible is a wonderful tool. John MacArthur Study Bible, wonderful tool. There's many wonderful study tools that we have that you can go down to Lifeway and pick up. You can go to Barnes & Noble and pick it up. We need to study God's Word. Certain things you're just not going to get. And you can tell me all day, you can say, all I need. And by the way, it's true. All you need is God's word. That, that is very much true. But, but when you can have a study help, you should take it. Most of you don't know what it was like in the first century. Like, you don't get all the history. You don't understand the setting here of Nehemiah and Ezra. Like, you need help understanding. I need help understanding. We need to hear, we need to read, we need to study God's word. We need to memorize God's word. You know, I don't, I don't know if, you know, we don't probably encourage you enough there, but, but we, we must memorize the Word of God. It's like having God's Word constantly checking out your soul, like constantly dealing with who you are and what you're like, constantly reminding you of who God is. You need to memorize the Word of God. What about corporately? I mean, I've talked about you personally, and by the way, you need to do that as individuals. Dads, you need to lead your kids. You need to lead your kids. Your kids won't just pick up the Bible and read it. Like, you need to lead your kids. They need to know about the grace of God. They need to know the Word of God that makes them wise for salvation. Teach them the Word of God. Spend time with your kids. Pray with your kids. 
Invest deeply in the salvation of your kids. Husbands, pour into your wives. Wives, pour into your husbands. The word of God. We need it. We need God's word. What about corporately? When we come here, all that we do, listen to what we've done even today, and I'll point to something that's coming up. We, we hear God's word read. We hear God's word sung. We hear God's word preached. Uh, it won't be next week anymore, but it's going to be really soon. I know I'm going to be baptized in Jennifer Robinson. You'll see God's word. Like, you'll watch it happen when we, when we do ordinances, when, when baptism happens, when the Lord's Supper happens. You experience, you see God's word. And we need to be responding to God's word here. God's word must be central if we expect to be renewed and rebuilt for the glory of Christ. Number two, though, it's going to be as we humbly cling to and celebrate the gospel of grace in the midst of the brokenness of our own sin. See, oftentimes what happens is this, and and many of you could give testimony to this. I know I certainly could. Is that you hear a message, you read the word, whatever happens, you see a great chasm that exists between how you are, what you're like, and who Christ is, and what he's like. You see a great difference in the word of God from your life. And a lot of times, it ends up being something that's not as clearly seen in a passage. But for instance, you'll think, I haven't shared my faith. I know I'm supposed to be sharing my faith. I haven't read my Bible. I know I'm supposed to be reading my Bible. I haven't prayed enough. I know I need to be praying enough. And and, and you begin to think about all these things that overwhelms your mind and your heart. And you just, instead of dealing with sin, instead of dealing with forgetfulness, instead of dealing with those things, you just feel guilty. You beat yourself up and you beat up the people around you. Am I right? You do. There's some also, I, I guarantee you, there's some men in this room who, even today, you will feel convicted to be the man that you need to be in your house. And if you're reading God's word, you'll see that you're called to do that. But some of you will leave this place, and instead of going home humbly in the grace of God, you will go home in the flesh and you will beat yourself up. And I will tell you right here that will not work, that will get you nowhere. What we need to do is learn a lesson that we at least see pictured there in the Feast of the Trumpets. And it's that we need to humbly cling to and celebrate the gospel of grace. None of us are where we will finally be in Christ. Therefore, we should all celebrate His grace. God loves us. He is for us. How do you know? Because he sent his son and he died for us. That's how we know. He loves us so much. He lavishes us with grace. And the way that we respond to grace cannot be with guilt. It must be by just receiving it in humility. It's a free gift. It's a gift given to you. So dads, don't go home beating yourself up. Go home and humble yourself. And learn how to be who God's called you to be. This is why number three is so important for us. We need to understand what to do. So we've humbled ourselves. 
But now what? Number three, it's going to be as we reform our own lives according to God's word. Look with me there at part A. We need to understand, well, what does that look like to live according to God's word? Does it mean that I take the Levitical law and I begin to play it out in my house? You know, is that, is that, is that what it means? Do I, do I take Leviticus and, and start making my house and, you know, build up altars and have goats and have... It, it doesn't mean that. Somebody would do that, probably, if I, if I didn't stop you. But Jesus has fulfilled the law. Read the book of Hebrews and celebrate loudly. Jesus is the sacrifice. He is the priest. He is greater than any temple. He's greater than Moses. He's better than the law. He's, Jesus has fulfilled the law. Therefore, he has brought to us righteousness and freedom. He died once for all. Okay. So it's not about us taking God's law there in Leviticus and trying to live it out. That's, that's not what it is. He fulfilled the law. What does it mean for us to live according to God's word? It means to live according to Jesus Christ, God's word incarnate. That means reforming our lives according to God's son. See, this is about becoming, for us, who Jesus is finally making us. I know I said that two weeks ago. But this helps us to understand what, I'm, what we're talking about here with God's word. He is making us to be just like Christ. One day we will finally be. How do we push ourselves more to who he is finally making us? How do we look more like Christ? Well, to understand how to do that, look at B. Is that we must allow the gospel of Jesus, we must allow the gospel, the good news, to transform the way we think and we live. Here's a few examples. If you're a note taker, please take this. We are called to love, love God, love people. Well, how do we do that? Why are we called to do this? Because God first loved us. We are able to love, we are able to live out that calling because we look to Christ who loved us. We're called to serve. Serve one another. How do we serve? How do we do that? I mean, like, it's not natural to serve another person. It's natural to serve oneself. How do we do that? Why do we do that? Because the Son of Man, He came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. Jesus serves us, and now He sends us to wash feet. He sends us to serve. We give. I mean, people outside the church must think we're crazy for giving our money. Don't you think? Like, I don't think I've really thought about that. They must think we're crazy. But we're not crazy. We give our money, we give our time, we give our talents, we give anything that we can to the glory of Jesus. Why? Because Christ gave his life for me. Because God gave his son for me. So we begin to reform our lives according to God's word like this. We say, I'm accepted. I'm accepted. How do you know you're accepted? Because God has accepted me in Christ. 
Christ has welcomed me. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. I'm forgiven. How do you know you're forgiven? Because I believe the gospel of grace. Because Christ bore the punishment for my sin. Now I am justified. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's none. I'm called to count others as more significant than myself. How? Because I have to allow my heart. I have to allow the eyes of my heart to see Christ as he counted me more significant than even his own self. I have to look to the interest of others. How? How can I do that? I'm selfish. How do I do that? in the? Because you can't do it in the flesh. You do it in the spirit as we see Christ, as he looks to us in our own interest. We take on the very attitude of Christ himself. Lastly, I want you to see part C. How do we reform our lives according to God's word? We must learn to repent of our sin and replace with God's promised ways. Today, there's some of you that, that you're in desperate need of spiritual renewal. Like that, That's just where you are. Like, like you're dry today. You need to be renewed. You need to be rebuilt up. And what you must do in this time is you must see God's word, you must see God's promises, and you must take his promise and you must put God's promised word in place, firmly in place, where when you walked into this room, sin reigned. Forgetfulness reigned. For some of you, it may be addiction was reigning. But today what we do is we take that and we don't just try to forget about it. We, we think about it very intentionally and we say we're going to move this and in place of that thing, it's going to be the promised word of God who speaks a better word into my heart than that sin. I, I'm going to put in place a, a, a grace that's given to me that's deeper and greater and wider than my sin. See, some of you, you're at a point where the best thing for you to do this morning is get your family or get your spouse, get a friend, and you need to come up to this front right here. Not because there's anything special really about the front, it's just stairs. But you're going to come here and you're going to make it important. Because you're going to get here and you're going to go to the Lord and you're going to ask Him, Lord, please forgive me for where I have been. But build up in my life today truth and hope and glory and grace in Christ. That's what you're going to do. That's where life is found. See, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy you, but Jesus Christ came that you might have life. Today, come and replace death with life. Some of you, you're really struggling in your home. You're really struggling, uh, whether it's leading your home, you're struggling spending time in God's Word, Listen, today what you need to do is come, not for the purpose of getting it all right in one moment, but you need to come to Christ who knows exactly where you are. He knows exactly how far you are away. You need to come to Him today. He welcomes you and your people welcome you today to come, not just make commitments to the Lord, 
but cling to his commitment to you. That's what we do today. Let's pray together. Father, I love you and I thank you for your word. Lord, you're so good to us. You, you lead and you guide us. You're patient with us. You're gracious with us. You're, you're so merciful. Thank you for giving us second, third, fourth, 20 chances. Thank you for loving us. God, I pray today you do a great work. May your spirit be alive and active in the hearts of those who are before me today. May you be alive and active in my own heart. God, may you do a great work today that Christ receives the glory for. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Stand together. Respond to God's word.